This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we have an American flavour on the show today. In all honesty, it's not the most popular sort of country, is it, for Manchester United fans for obvious reasons, but we've got one member of the team, Andy Mitten, in America currently. So, hey Andy. Hey, what's up? Good accent, um, and we've also got, was it a good accent? I don't know. Um, we've also got Laurie Whitwell here as well, who hopefully will say hello normally. Hi, Laurie. Hey, I'm good. Oh, hey, you did it as well. I was thinking about going howdy, but I've, yeah, that was my, that was my normal accent, no? Was it not? I, I, I don't know. Okay. That was a strange start, wasn't it? But let, let's move on. There's lots to get through on the podcast today. We need to preview, of course, the Manchester Derby at the moment, some concerning team news potentially. But the reason Laurie has got an American flavour is that he's recently returned from a trip to Washington. The piece that he's written about it has dropped on The Athletic today, the title Searching for Joel Glazer. Laurie, talk us through it. Did you find him? (laughs) Yeah, spoiler, uh, I didn't find him. Um, I don't know if I should kind of keep that back from everything that I've been posting to sort of lure people in, but I kind of, hands up, you know, uh, let's not kid ourselves. Um, I didn't get a world exclusive with the guy that's not done an interview with anybody outside of MUTV for 17 years. Um, but no, I, I thought looking for Joel was my sort of idea. We, we were texting about this, weren't we, Ian, um, when I was sort of mentioning it to you. Um, so looking for Joel, a bit of a riff on the old looking for Eric thing. Um, and I was basically in Washington, D.C. anyway for um, a, a little work trip that I'll, I'll talk about in the weeks ahead when I can actually say why I was over there little teaser for you. We talked about it once and it got cut out, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We, we have to wait for the big, grand... <laughs> Full disclosure. Uh, ...launch. So I was over there anyway and I thought, well, listen, why not just try? He's obviously the centre of a lot of interest and um, obviously hostility from the fans at the moment. It has been throughout you know, the tenureship, obviously, but it kind of feels more accentuated right now, even after the financial results that we'll get onto a little bit that came out last week. I knew where the office was. There's you know, sort of public records where you can find out where the office is. And I went down there to try and see if I could spot him walking in, you know, and I kind of had to do my work things as well. So it was kind of squeezing this attempt to find him in between all that. But so I went back a couple of days, spoke to the receptionist there. She was she was lovely, actually. She actually uh, called up to the office at United to try and get me a meeting with him, which kind of made me smile because I was thinking to myself, I don't think this is usually how these things work, but I'm not going to say no to it. And then I did also 
find his, uh, well, some properties that were linked to him in America. So, you know, go for an old old fashioned door knock, see if he's in. Some people in the comments, and I knew this would be some reaction, and it's a fair sort of point to make that people are saying, you know, is that not a bit stalkerish? Why do you need to go to his house, you know, to try and find him? Um, but I suppose my response would be, well, it's not, you know, not, not harmful, is it, to kind of knock on someone's door, and if if they want to speak, they they can do. If they don't, then they'll, you know, say no thanks and shut the door in your face. That's no problem. But tell you used to work for the Daily Mail. <laughs> well, I was going to come on to this. Actually, I have done door knocks for the Daily Mail. Time now, or shall I wait till later? Wait till later. Okay, go 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 for later. Um, I just thought that he, he's not spoken for so, such a long time. You know, why not give it a go whilst I'm over there? Uh, and listen, the piece is a little bit tongue in cheek about me. You know, being bit sad um, waiting in the rain with a massive umbrella that I borrowed from the hotel because I forgot that it rained in Washington as well as Manchester but it, the, the main thing is that it gave me a sense of where he works and you know the whole building that he's in is, is full of financial institutions so it's like you know he's kind of rubbing shoulders in the lifts or whatever if he speaks to these people I don't know but with people that are kind of their focus is money and which is what we've always said about Manchester United that's the bottom line for the Glazers and it did then amuse me that you know, as as I've put in the the picture that I tweeted, um, you had this sign right outside the office saying "United Bank 24-hour ATM," which is obviously what everybody, well, a lot of people think the Glazers treat Manchester United as a a big cash machine. Well, wait, wait a minute, Laurie. Wait a minute, Laurie. So you're turning up and you're knocking on Joel Glazer's front door. Look at it from his perspective, right? <laughs> he goes to the door. He sees your head outside it when he looks through the little glass. And he sees your hair on a day like it is today, which looks like it's had an electric charge put through it. I wouldn't open the door either. If I was Joel Glazer, he'd probably sell the club. Well, there we go. So it could work, you know, either ways. But you, you are right. The door stop journalism it is an important part of journalism. It's something when you're training to be a journalist that you get taught to do. And it can be a very unpleasant part of the job. Uh, normally journalists would start in local newspapers and they have to knock on the door. Maybe there's been a, an accident or there's a bereavement or something like that. But in this case, it's just you turning up at his house. <laughs> he's, he, he's definitely seen you and thought, absolutely no chance I'm speaking <laughs> well, to him. Well, that's it. I tried to look... But, uh, good, good idea for a piece. I tried to look through the windows just to see, but I don't think he was... Uh... I don't think he was in Washington ultimately. But I spoke to the neighbours. He was lovely, <laughs> as, you, as you'll see in the piece. As you'll see in the police report that he's filed. <laughs> <you need. laughs> Andy, are you looking for Joel Glazer? Have you got a bit lost ended up in Chicago or why are you there? Oof. So before COVID, um, I, I booked a trip. Uh, New Order and the Pet Shop Boys are playing in Chicago. And then I told one of my editors who said, can you write a piece about Chicago? It's a great city, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so originally I was coming with, with my wife. It got cancelled and cancelled and cancelled. And then the concert's due to take place tomorrow. And I'm going to watch the Manchester Derby with the Chicago Reds, who I've met before on a previous pre-season here. What, what do you think they'll think of your impression? I, I, I think they should slaughter it because, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, don't, don't know how to do an American accent. I'm not even going to try to. And, it, and it's not like America's got one accent, is it? It's a country no. of over 300 million people. True, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that if, you, if you're from Brooklyn or the Bronx, you talk very, very differently than if you're from Inglewood, south of Los Angeles or, or, or whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm ready to um, learn from the Chicago Reds and we'll speak to them as part of the next podcast. A Chicago accent. And if Manchester United win the derby, 
I will try and say a sentence in a full Chicagoan accent. Chicagoan. Well, yeah, I've done that wrong as well for a start, Anna, <laughs> so jump in on that. You'd be quite right too. That's if I get to Monday because my baggage hasn't even arrived yet. So I'm walking around in the, the clothes that I've worn on the plane. So there, that's why I'm in Chicago. I'm battling not all my instincts to make a joke about the clothes that you are wearing. Do it, now, Ian. Do it. You did it off them. camera. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> when we were lining up for the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Let's get back to the case at, at point then, the, the piece that you've written, Laurie. And more importantly, actually, really, I, I suppose, uh, as, a, as a wider issue, the financial results that have been announced this week for Manchester United, because we didn't talk about it on the last podcast. We were saving it for this because we knew that Laurie's piece was coming. Very, very depressing reading, Laurie. Yeah, quite alarming, really, um, the scale of it. I think everyone knew that it was going to be one of United's worst uh, set of financial results obviously affected by the pandemic, but to still see it in black and white, 115.5 million pound loss, their biggest ever, uh, one of the biggest ever in Premier League history by a club um, is is kind of concerning when you think of how much the club is already in debt. You know, the, the gross debt is actually now higher than it was when United were leveraged in that takeover by the Glazers. I think it's like 636 million. It used to be 600 odd million. You know, that that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. The interest rate payments are still being made, 20 million a year, um, which, you know, you might United might say, you know, is palatable. They can keep doing it. But it, it, at some point, there's a, a crunch moment where it affects what they can do on the pitch, surely. I mean, it has already, hasn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, they they will say they've spent you know two hundred eighteen million pounds this summer or, or whatever it is. It's it's around that mark, but they've had to draw down forty million on the credit facility. So basically, they've, they've put it on the company credit card, haven't they? You know, some of these signings. So you know, is that a healthy thing to to be in? Is that a healthy situation? Then also, you factor in the you know the dividends that are keep keep going out. You know, thirty three point six million this time. It was. You know, a bit more than uh, previous times because they delayed, you know, one um, payment during the pandemic. So, you know, it's usually about 22 million a year. But the, all these things are adding up now where, as before, United were very comfortable. They had the commercial revenue. They had the match day revenue. It feels like it's becoming a tight, tight financial uh, tightrope, really, that they're walking. And is there a, an exit plan? You know, is, is there a way out of this? difficulty and, and the, the kind of overarching thing the, the big uh aspect looming in in the future is the stadium and Carrington you know they, they are on record as saying they will improve the stadium they will improve Carrington that's going to take a lot of money where's that money going to come from is it outside investment which is what those talks were about that we think they had recently is it about selling a minority stake so that they can put that into the club that would actually be a change from what they've done previously you know usually when they've sold shares they've pocketed the money themselves so but this really does suggest and and you heard Richard Arnold on the investor call talk about how um capital investments would be done uh, you know carefully it wasn't like they were saying no we will definitely build this stadium it's going to be all singing or dancing you're kind of looking at thinking 
what's ultimately going to come here. That's that's what it said to me. These financial results that I I, I just I know came away from it thinking, wow, that's worse than I thought it was. Yeah, definitely. Dan Sheldon did a piece on the Athletic um, tail end of last week, I think it was when when these uh, these results were announced. Manchester United recorded a 115.5 million net loss for the financial year ending June 2022, while seeing their net debt rise from 95.4 million to a total of 514.9 million pounds. Incredible. Um, Kieran Maguire, obviously the financial expert, uh, contributed to that piece as well, and he later tweeted that Manchester United have borrowed a total of 650 million dollars from US banks. And when United published their accounts on Friday, this was shown using the 30th of June exchange rate, uh, which is £530 million. Pounds. Um, and actually, if you use the exchange rate of that morning, it would have been £612 million, pounds, which is an increase of £82 million just because of how poorly the pound is performing at the moment, which Andy's finding out on his shopping trip to Chicago. <laughs> um, but joking aside, I mean, th- this is really, really bad, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've, we've spoken... Uh, on the podcast before about you know our opinion of of the finances involved and everything else, but it's actually getting to a, a even more concerning level if that was possible, Andy. Yeah, I'd echo a lot of what what Laurie said, and the bigger picture is is there the money there to do the stadium or do Manchester United do something similar to what Real Madrid did and Barcelona are doing and take out a separate mortgage, but it's still it's still another debt. And loading um, transfers onto the credit card is what Manchester United have done. United have gone for bust in in some ways to try and get back being a top four team, to get that Champions League revenue, spent a lot of money this summer on players, and it's all going onto the debt. And another point you made, which is a relevant one, um, is, is the pound to euro, pound to dollar exchange rate. Uh, it's shifted significantly as I've just found having paid 42 quid for a cup of tea. And I asked someone about this who who is a specialist in this financial field, and he said, I said, how significant is that? And he said, well, it depends what the Glazers' attitude is to their borrowings, because they have borrowed from US banks. So I have seen it mentioned a couple of times, is this all building up to a sort of end game where they say, this is getting too much, we're going to sell, we're going to move on. Uh, I don't have any evidence that, that that is the case. The share price has gone back up in recent um, last month or so after that after that lull. But going at the days where Manchester United were complete commercial top dogs, United are still bringing in serious money, but there are clouds on the horizon because of those big ticket investments which are needed, which we've spoke about for years. And if United don't get a top four finish this season, then I think those financial problems uh, will multiply. That said, in 2005 and in 2010, I published lots of doomsday scenarios about Manchester United's uh, finances. We would say things like the broadcasting bubble has to burst. It can't carry on going up and up and up. been writing this since 1993 and it has gone up and up and up and up. I can see now that it's stabilising. And an important point you did mention was the COVID hangover. That's also true as well. And it's worrying. One thing I will give United uh, credit for is within those figures was a commitment to paying all their staff um, a living wage, which I think the club should be credited for doing because not every football club um, does that. 
And even in COVID, when United refused to take furlough money, I think that was to the club's credit. But if you want one word for me to describe those figures, it would be uh, worry. Yeah, and what's also worrying, Laurie, is is the value for money that United are getting out of some of the the money that they are spending. I mean, the, the wage bill is the highest ever in English football, uh, and that wage bill brought about a sixth-place finish. So, you know, even the money that is being spent um, is not necessarily being spent wisely when you look at some of the figures and and the facts involved too. I mean, we know that, don't we? But, you know, a, a result like this, a report like this, just seems to underline how everyone's feeling at the moment, really. Obviously, the wage bill will come down now that they haven't qualified for the Champions League. You know, I think even Ronaldo's got a 25% wage cut in his salary, which is you know partly why he might have wanted to get back to a Champions League club in the summer. So that, that will come down. But it was, I mean, the biggest wage bill in Premier League history for a team that finished sixth. Something's going wrong there. And you look at the, the transfers they've done this summer, you know, obviously they're, they're working out. We've touched on it before, but... They've obviously overspent, haven't they, in certain areas because there's that desperation there, because deadline was approaching, because they wanted to support Eric Ten Hag after a couple of results. Um, These are the kind of questions that I would have loved to put to Joel Glazer. (laughs) So I kind of had it in my mind, as as I'm in the, the kind of office lobby and I'm sort of you know the receptionist is calling up and thinking what happens if he actually is here and he, he, he kind of goes yeah come on then let's let's have it I, I've, I, you know, I'm thinking about all these questions that I wanted to ask and when I'm you know at the door as Andy said and, and he's looking through the curtains thinking what has he done with his hair there's no way I'm answering to this lunatic I'm sort of thinking to myself just in case you know what are the kind of questions and and value for money is one that I would I would love to ask him because he ultimately sanctions the transfers, doesn't he? So he has to be convinced, really. Well, he also sanctioned putting the people in place to make those decisions as well. So whichever way you look at it, the onus falls on him. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the criticisms that people have quite strongly that oppose the Glazer ownership is that they don't set a culture. They don't set a, a kind of sporting excellence that they aspire towards where, you know, they're close to it and they can sense what's a good decision, what's a bad decision. That's why I've had to go all the way to Washington to try and find him. And the, it just kind of gave me a sense of the remoteness of where he was coming from and the fact that you, you're still taking dividends even though you're losing money. So the, it's always been said to us that, you know, Manchester United, okay, it's a corporation. Any normal corporation with shareholders would pay dividends if they're doing well. Well, they're actually not even doing well now. You know, they're, they're kind of losing money. It, would, would a normal company be satisfied with that? And also, I do think that it it's it clear that it takes away from the idea that United is uh, a club for sporting excellence. You know, really, if, if that's your primary objection, all the money that you generate should be put into buying players, getting the manager in place, creating uh, an environment that people enjoy coming to, such as Carrington and Old Trafford. That's where it should all be. It shouldn't be going back to shareholders if, if sporting excellence is your number one priority. So um, they're all the things that I would have loved to talk to him about. But yeah, he, he didn't answer the door, wasn't in. And I will I will just touch on it because I did mention it. So in case we get we don't get a chance to come back to it, I'm just sort of hogging the, the microphone here for a second. But um, when I was at the Daily Mail, as you alluded to, Ian, uh, I did news for like a month and I had to do two door knocks. One was um, to Amy Winehouse's parents when she died. Um, which I went down to a different location. She didn't actually, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get the right one any, any time. Um, and then another one was to um, Lucian Freud's brother when he died, the, the artist. Um, and he did answer and he was like sort of bed bound because he was very old. But I knew that he really liked his horse racing. So I took the Daily Mail horse racing um, pages to him 
And as soon as I brought them out, he was bounding up out of bed and he was happily chatting to me. And so sometimes with these door knocks, even in those really sad times, people are actually quite happy to speak to a journalist because they want to tell the story of the relative that's been lost to them. So that's kind of just the context a little bit. Obviously, it's a different scenario here. You know, he could well have been within his rights if I'd have, if he'd have been there and answered to say, no, thanks, you know, I'll get back to England and that would have been fine. But I kind of felt like I needed to at least try. Yeah, the key question, I guess, Laurie, that you would have asked is, is the club for sale? If yeah. it is for sale, how much would you want? <laughs> that That's the key question, isn't it, really? And, and Andy, ever since there was the suggestion that there may be interest in the takeover, all the noise around... Jim Radcliffe, which seems to have gone quiet for the moment, online constantly people are saying this is the latest on a takeover. This is the latest on a takeover. Is there any latest on a takeover? No, not to my knowledge. And that's only to my knowledge, but I've covered this football club for a long, long time. I've got a lot of contacts. I speak to them all the time. I've seen that online noise that you talk about. I saw somebody tweet last week, um, could the Glazers be gone. Rumours are, it seems, preparing, possible. And that they're not facts. It's just it's just hearsay. It's just barroom talk. And some of those tweets go viral because uh, some people are desperate for there to be news. And I'm pretty circumspect when I see some of the people come along saying, you know, a bid is being prepared or whatever. Um, I ask the question on a weekly basis to to contacts who I, I trust. Uh, I've never been given any firm understanding that the Glazers want to sell sell the club for definite. I've been given talk of fractures within the family that maybe one or two brothers would be more inclined to a sale than some of the other siblings, for example. I've been given, you know, th- this is the figure they might enter negotiating at. Um, also news um, told after the event that yes there were some talks with X or with Y but stuff which is very difficult to stand up and run as a story and the Jim Ratcliffe um, story it was stood up Matt Dickinson who's also done a book on United he knew uh, Jim Ratcliffe he did stand that story up but it has all gone quiet so have I got any more news to report on it no is there a clamour for news yes but there just isn't. So you, you, you can't advance the story if there's no story to advance. So had Laurie um, sat down with Joel Glazer and spoken, he may have got a few lines where uh, he said, yeah, actually we would be interested in selling. I don't think he, that would have happened. I think it would have been, we're absolutely committed to Manchester United, just as we always have been. I'm a big Manchester United fan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of whataboutery at the moment. And when United start winning matches, um, it fades a little bit as a story. It just does. And then when United start losing matches, it comes to the fore again. We've seen significant protests this season. I don't think the protests are going to disappear. No. I also don't think we're going to see them as strong as we saw before the Liverpool game either. No. But th- this has ebbed and flowed now since 2005. And there's no reason why it's not, not going to continue doing that. Just touching on what Andy said in terms of the siblings, that's the one thing that I think maybe is changed from previous attempts you know I I get the impression that basically four of them would be happy to sell the club um, you know in terms of Ed Kevin uh, Darcy and Brian and then you've got Avram and Joel who are, are kind of more you know wedded to it and, and even amongst those you know is, is there and they both 
totally aligned in, in how they view what United should be. So that's the only thing that kind of makes me think, okay, that there's there's some rumblings of something happening at least. But as, as Andy says, it's 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 hard to get concrete information on this kind of stuff because really, if a takeover is going to happen and they're serious, it, it happens quietly and then all of a sudden, bang, there it is. So Jim Radcliffe obviously came out publicly and declared his interest, which I think a lot of United fans were loving, weren't they? Um, and that's absolutely in his right. He's got the wealth to do that. Also, coming out publicly for him, it's a different thing, I suppose, because I think he realised that he can harness the opposition to the Glazer ownership and, and maybe that can help get his bid over the line rather than having to do it sort of secretly. But it just, yeah, this it's obviously a story to keep keep tabs on, keep checks on, because if the financial situation keeps happening like as it is with Manchester United, clearly it will change because of the matchday revenue. But if it's not uh, a secure ship, you kind of wonder... Will some of the Glazers think, no, really, we do need to sell. This is the best point we can sell at. Okay. Well, before we move it on then to talk about the Manchester derby, there's one last thing to reflect upon from your piece searching for Joe Glazer, Laurie. Did you get your nails done at Aqualux? I mean, that wasn't open either. Uh, It didn't look like the best uh, nail salon in the world, I have to say. Hopefully that's not uh, too derogatory. You've seen a few of them, have you? I've been to a few, you know, pedicures, manicures. What else can you get in a nail salon? Uh, yeah, moving on. <laughs> N- nail varnish? Yeah, if you're wondering what on earth I'm talking about, go and have a look at Laurie's piece. It's on The Athletic now. I-, I guess the nail thing isn't the biggest takeaway from it, but you can make your own mind up. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you want to read that piece, you can do so now. Become a new subscriber for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Gentlemen, whisper it quietly, but it's Manchester Derby week. It's sort of crept up on us, despite the fact that we don't seem to have played a great deal of football for quite a long time, Andy. I'm in the city, you're not at the moment, obviously. I'm not feeling much of a build-up just yet. Interesting. Well, it is a derby on Sunday and I'm delighted that football's back. It's been a while, I've missed seeing Manchester United play football. It's not ideal. I think that Leeds game being postponed, I spoke to someone... Um, a former player who's really well respected and a, a, a hero even and he just said to me um, it's a shame about that Leeds one because if City were to win that derby a big gap opens up there and obviously United have done well against Leeds going into the Palace game off the back of them four wins would have been a good position to go into that Palace game certainly wasn't like it was at the end of last season when United were terrible at Sellers Park. But this is where we are. Played six, won four, lost those two opening matches. I think United um, are underdogs in the match. City clearly are the champions. They've got a crack inside. I do think that United fans will go into this game with a bit more hope than last season's derby. When United didn't actually play badly for a lot of the first half, but were then undone in the second half. So, United are not favourites. To get a draw in this game would be an achievement. We're feeling it. Well, try getting a ticket, mate. There's an mm. hard, hard ticket to get mm. into that United end. There's 3,000 tickets. So, the demand's always there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because I always do. I look forward to watching every United game. But there'll just be more nervousness about it. Because, say, if United get beat 4-1 again, you'll be like, ah, no. There's no progress being made here. Part of you will be thinking that. But if United were to play really well and get a draw, 
or even a win. I mean, imagine if United won the derby. We're allowed to talk about that. Such talk is free. Nobody can send us to jail for speculating on Manchester United winning a well, derby. Well, they've been in worse shapes than one at the Etihad, haven't they? In fairness. Probably they're one of the better absolutely. shapes to go into the Etihad in, actually, from recent times. That's yeah. remarkable considering yeah, where we're at 35 minutes into that Brentford game. I suppose, Laurie, the thing is you just want to see that United's momentum from those wins hasn't been completely killed by the fact that they've not played in the Premier League for a month. Yeah, you feel like the first 10 minutes is going to be quite important. Um, City have, at times in the past, started really quickly. I mean, last season, you know, they started really quickly, didn't they? And, and then ultimately overwhelmed United. Um, so if, I think if City smell blood, De Bruyne, Haaland, you know, they're obviously banging form. Um, you know, United just need to keep it tight, really. And you can see how United could win, though, with the same, you know, game plan that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer perfected, really. Um you know, those two wins that he had at the Etihad, you know, soak up the pressure and, and hit on the break. I suppose that will depend and we'll come on to it. Like they played against Arsenal, even. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they... they, they I mean, even even against Liverpool, they had less possession. So, you know, the fact that United are winning these games, it's, it's clearly... Ten Hag has obviously adapted his ideal approach, hasn't he, for, for these matches, given his personnel and, and knowing that he needs a result. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, does the same at City. You're not going to have you know, more of the ball at the Etihad, that's fine. But as long as you're incisive with it, which United have been at different points in the past, um, I think they've got a chance. And that back line looks like it's in a, a good place at the moment. It does depend on who's who's fit in attack, I suppose, a little bit. You know, Marcus Rashford still struggling with his injury. He's a, he's a doubt for the game. Uh, Anthony Martial also. So would he start Cristiano Ronaldo straight away, you know, back again um, like he did in Moldova um, or, or does he try and do something a little bit different like he did on the opening game against Brighton um, my, my gut would be that he still starts Ronaldo because it's not you know it, to, to leave him out again at City as we were talking off air you know this was, this is the game that started really Ronaldo's feelings I suppose about how he how he wanted to go about the season uh, wasn't in the starting lineup. Um, ended up going to Portugal with a, an injury hip flexor so I would be surprised if if, if, if Marshall and Rashford aren't fit, I'd be surprised if Ronaldo doesn't start. Yeah, we'll talk more about Ronaldo in a moment, but let's just reflect on on these two, Rashford and Martial, Andy, because they have been at the centre of United's strong displays or strong results at the Etihad in recent times. Uh, and it's amazing, actually, how much it's turned around for these two that we are worried about them not being fit for this game because maybe... I don't know, towards the end of last season, well, for a start, Martial wasn't even at the club. He was on loan at Sevilla, but even Rashford not being fit wouldn't have been a talking point. And it is this time, big time. Martial's last great game for Manchester United was probably in a derby away at Manchester City where United didn't have the possession, won the game, played uh, a very tactically risky match, felt that their lines uh, would be broken, but it paid off. United got the win. Marcus Rashford is the top scorer for Manchester United. It's there in black and white. So if you're missing both of those two players, then it, it, it is a blow. Add to that the attacking players which United lost over the summer. There isn't the strength in depth there. There was uh, talk about bringing a centre-forward in uh, towards the end of the transfer window. Players were actively spoken to about joining Manchester United. I think the Anthony Money uh, took the... the, the the wind out of any um, possible move for a, a number nine. So a year ago, Manchester United almost had too many forwards. Now um, that's a position where there are, there are concerns. As Laurie said, it leans towards Ronaldo. And I'd be all right about that. 
I'd love him to think this is his chance to say, yeah, I'm still great. I can still score winning goals in the 89th minute in the Manchester derby and dive into the home end and celebrate. I can still do this. But if he had a stinker, I think that would really um, magnify uh, any perceived decline in, in Cristiano Ronaldo. But to your point, it is to the credit of Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial that they've got back into contention to even being talked about like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about Ronaldo then, Laurie. I mean, there's been a lot said, hasn't there? I mean, I remember us talking to Marcel van der Kran, you know, April time, was it maybe? Um, it's an old old version of Talk of the Devils. If you've not heard it, go back and listen to it. It's absolutely fascinating about um, Eric Ten Hag and what he was going to bring uh, to Manchester. Might be quite interesting for us to listen to it back, actually, yeah. and see how, how true it all turned out to be. But... Um, th- there's been talk since then really about how Ronaldo fits in, how Eric Ten Hag wants to use him and going to a place like the Etihad, like we saw with Ralph Rangnick last year, preferring to play Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes in some sort of weird double false nine thing that no one's ever done before and has done since for good reason. Um, it, it's like the truest test of whether Ronaldo does fit an Eric Ten Hag system of breaking on a side because United aren't likely to have the lion's share of possession. They are likely to need moments on the counter they are likely to need to press they are likely to need to do all the things that Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't seem particularly well suited to so it's a big question about whether to play him or not if Rashford and Martial aren't fit yeah yeah um it is he'll be having these debates I I, I just think gut wise I think he'll 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 have to pick him um just because it 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 did kind of did kind of work in Sharif I know he scored from the spot it wasn't his best was it? it it didn't didn't look totally on it. There were some moments where he pressed. I mean, against Arsenal when he came on, I think he did do a really good job of that out, out of possession. Um, and, and maybe you have him on the pitch for a certain length of time and, and you bring him off. But I just suppose that's a difficult one then if they're losing the game and you're taking off you know, a guy that can score you some goals. Um, so it will be a debate that he has. And I think probably Eric Ten Hag will have to think about the match in its entirety, not just, you know, this is my strongest starting lineup. I'm I'm going to go with it. Um, I do think there. I mean, it could even change to a midfield three. You know, we haven't seen that yet. Um, you know, where you've got Casemiro who hasn't actually, you know, um, started all that much. Um, does does he see this as a, a good game to to put him into? You know, Casemiro, incredible experience. This is a kind of game that's going to be high pressure. He he can obviously cope with that. Does that give United a little bit more security? Well, you think as well about the attacking. Midfielders for City, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, Phil Foden, if he comes inside, that, that's a lot for Scott McTominay to deal with, isn't it? Or even Christian Eriksen, if that's him. Casemiro would help that, certainly, but then that obviously changes the way that United have, have lined up and been successful in the, the the string of wins that they've they've had, Laurie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then and then you then you probably have to change Bruno's role, don't you? So he does he then become a false nine, um, you know, with, I guess, Anthony and Sancho either side. Um, I, I, you know, Anthony and Sancho are kind of guarantees, aren't they? Because Sancho's in, in really good form and, and Anthony, they've just spent 100 million euro on. So he's he's going to start a few, hopefully, to get him in, Stick him in. in the groove. And <laughs> um, I, I know he, he played, I think he, played, I think he had a good debut against Arsenal, played well, scored that really good goal, obviously. Um, against Sharif, it was a, a bit more of a, uh, you know, okay, there's, there's obviously elements there that, that need a bit of refinement. Um but it's a debatable one, isn't it? I mean, I suppose if you're thinking it'd be great to have Ronaldo off the bench as a, an impact sub for 30 minutes, then maybe that's that's what ultimately wins the day. But I, I would just be surprised if he doesn't kind of 
go with the the team and the formation that's done well for him because he, he did that in pre-season didn't he he kept picking the same team basically the same format the same starting 11 anyway he obviously wanted to have those players understand the roles and the relationships and they've they've been doing that so you know continue against city and, and hopefully it works out as well um i do think ericsson's a really important player you touched on him there he's obviously unlocked united midfield from what it was capable of previously to, to now you know certainly those balls from deep the, the risky passes that he plays and and if city, city have you know given up chances this season and and if they do get a little bit out of shape Ericsson's a perfect player to just ping that quick pass from a deeper position that hopefully can set united up for a good chance yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo's former international duty is not going to encourage Eric Ten Hag to put him in, I don't think either. Paul Ballas has written a review of his performance against Spain in the Nations League defeat for Portugal, which ended up costing him a place in the finals of that competition as well. He missed a, a hat-trick of chances, but maybe that'll just fire him up a little bit more. Who knows? We need to talk about Harry Maguire again as well, Andy, unfortunately. Um, it, it got even heavier for him, the criticism and um, his performance against Germany once again only brought yet more scrutiny, didn't it? Um, do you think he needs a spell just out of it now? Um, I don't think he's 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 going to start for United at the weekend against City if, if Ferran and Martinez is fit, but... I'm wondering if an extended break for him would benefit him or if he needs to play through this. Or It's a very difficult thing now for Eric Ten Hag. There's no England matches until the World Cup, so it would just be for Ten Hag to manage at United and it's going to be a, a challenge for him, isn't it? I don't think there's an issue with scrutiny, with criticism. I think the issue is with pernicious abuse. I spoke to Harry a couple of weeks ago. Mentally, I thought he was fine. I thought he spoke really well when he was talking about the World Cup finals. Clearly, his uh, career at the moment is is not in a good place. He's not playing for a for his team. He wants to play. Uh, I'm sure he could understand the reasons why he's not playing. He was part of a a team which was failing at the end of last season, and then at the start of this season, was one of many players who performed poorly in those opening two matches. Um, Ten Hag made the big calls, and he's been vindicated. Lissandro Martinez and Rafael Varane have been fantastic, a, a central defender, and Harry. Maguire will have to be patient, will have to wait, wait his turn. I think he's going to get loads of chances. There's nine games in October. There's Europa League football. There's going to be EFL football coming up. Footballers do get injured, by the way. So Harry Maguire, I think, will get chances. But when I, I watched um, England-Germany the other day, and when he made that mistake, which led to a goal, there was definitely that sense of foreboding, oh, no. Oh no, you know what's coming next. And I don't like how a lot of people who call themselves Manchester United fans seem to celebrate in it. I don't think that's what United fans have done historically. I think United fans have got behind their own, especially when playing for England. And when you see Harry Maguire tweeting, like, uh, I saw him a few weeks ago, something about a, ch a charity, and he just got so much abuse. I, I just don't like it. I don't think it's right. As I said in the last podcast, he didn't decide his fee. Um, he didn't have a good um, time for Manchester United uh, last season, but going up to Gdansk in the previous season, he was seen as one of the best players because he was. Um, I don't like the ridicule that he's somehow a pathetic footballer, that he should be driven out of the club, that he should cease to be 
playing football professionally. It's ridiculous and it's over the top. You get behind him. You don't have to like him. You can criticise him if he plays poorly. And there's been times when he has played poorly. And I'm not going to argue here for Harry Maguire being included for Manchester United in league games at the moment. I think the manager's called it right. But some of the abuse, anonymous abuse, stuff which none of these people would say to his face. I'm just really uncomfortable about the whole thing. He's only a human as well. He earns a lot of money, fair enough. But he's only a human. He's got a family. And some of it goes way beyond the pale, in my opinion. I know there are others who think it's fair game. Drive him out of the club now. I suspect a lot of them people, once Harry's gone, if he does go, and I've not been given any indication that he is going, they'll move on to somebody else. It's partly about the people giving the abuse as well. Do you think that United fans will actually come together over this a little bit? I'm not saying that you know he'd be the prime person in their minds yes. when they when they're that's yeah do you think so so next time he's out there because obviously we we were in pre-season and, and it kind of those weird boos were happening um, but I think that was a bit of the fact that it was international fans and kind of almost pantomime but at Old Trafford if if he's if he starts a game um you know do, do yeah do you think that Ian do you that he the fans will kind of come together and go we we support United over England more than anything and no matter our personal opinions on Maguire, you know, being captain or whatever, he's our player. We're going to support him. Yeah, I'd expect that. Um, United don't play at home now, do they? Until um, the Ammonia game, I think it is in in the Europa League, which is uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, yeah, I would expect there to be a reaction from Manchester United fans if Harry Maguire is named in the starting lineup that day, or even if he's on the bench and he goes to warm up. I'd expect them to support him because that's always been the pattern of behaviour in the past as well from United supporters. You look at what happened with David Beckham in the most high-profile sense, even with Wayne Rooney, Phil Neville even going back to Euro 2000 and giving away a penalty that that ended up uh, knocking England out of, of, of that tournament. There's always been a reaction amongst Manchester United fans. There's still that feeling around Old Trafford and around the support that he's, he's our player. You know, we can criticise him, you can't. You know, the idea of him being booed for England... Um, really riles up United supporters and I do expect them to react to that. Um, let's talk about the two players who are in the team instead of him at the minute then because they've certainly got their hands full at the Etihad, Laurie, haven't they? Um, I've seen Erling Haaland several times already this season playing for City um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was one of those idiots so to change topic slightly but that didn't put him in my fantasy football team at the start of the season. And you just got to have him in, haven't you? You know, I think it could be his third hat-trick in a row at home, um, which is an insane start to his life in the Premier League. And he doesn't even need to touch the ball that often, does he? He kind of gets in these positions late. Do you know, do you know I'm glad you've mentioned that because the Bournemouth game I did at City um, and he touched the ball, I think, eight times during that match. It was everywhere. He's only touched the ball eight well, I watched that game and the amount of times he nearly touched the ball and if he had touched it, it would have been a goal. Right. Even that day. And Bournemouth actually did an half-decent job of, of shackling him. They forgot about Kevin De Bruyne, who's <laughs> City's best player still, and he ran riot. Um, but I was at the two matches as well when he scored his hat-tricks. It's going to be really, really difficult. Really difficult. I, I, I almost think the form he's in, he's going to get chances. You just have to hope he's off his game. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the flesh for the first time live. I've, I've not obviously I've seen him on TV loads, but you know I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how he moves. Clearly, he's a player that United have tried to get multiple times, or at least they've been told they should get. You know, Danny Taylor did a piece um, recently where he spoke to the scout at Mould that 
they brought him to that club and you know was talking with other good assault show about you know obviously United should be signing this guy and and didn't really hear back and he wasn't sure what happened there and that that's kind of another thing we can touch on in terms of get, United getting value for money in the transfer market um, but I'm really looking forward to it I mean there is this big kind of I don't know what you'd call it uh, a wave that Martinez is the guy that can shackle him uh, because because of the Ajax Dortmund game. Dortmund game, yeah, yeah, that's been that keeps getting quoted now, doesn't well, it? Yeah. So this is what I'm going to do after this. Actually, I'm going to go watch it back in its entirety because I was alerted to this um, when Martinez signed, and I was told that after the game, Eriksen Haag gave Martinez a big hug in the dressing room and said, "Brilliant performance," you know, particularly made a beeline for him. Um, and you know I, I've watched the highlights and it, Martinez certainly about Martinez and Haaland he looks like he's aggressive in the ball he, he, he copes with him well Rafa Honigstein who obviously knows German football very well suggests that actually Haaland got like three one-on-one chances in that game and um, you know he, he, he just happened to miss them uh, so I need to go back and watch it in its entirety and, and maybe that'll inform my match piece for the game on Sunday but I, I, I do like how Martinez and Varane have, have kind of cultivated an early partnership I think we spoke about this before haven't we it's, it is early days and you know there's still a long time to go I remember getting excited about Phil Jones and Chris Smalling having a good partnership at a West Brom game years ago and thinking here we go this is the future of United <laughs> centre-back partnership so can't get too excited too soon but you, you feel that at least they complement each other you know they're, they're both quick so they've got that recovery in them if United's shape does become a little bit um, fragmented um, but at I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it, and, I, and also just a, a quick mention of Diogo Dallo. You know, I think he's he's really seized the uh, position, and he, he scored, didn't he, a couple of goals for Portugal, one one of which was was a cracker. So, um, hopefully that you know that that back line is on the same wavelength because it'll need to be because City will pull them left, right, and centre. Okay, let's hope we're reflecting on a, a positive day for the back line when we record. Uh, the next podcast after the match on Sunday at the Etihad. Really quickly, though, before we go, Andy, there's also a piece from you on The Athletic speaking to Tony the groundsman. A complete gear shift in this conversation, but an interesting read for United fans. Yeah, it'd be funny if Tony the groundsman starts in the Manchester derby at the weekend. be a turn up for the books, yeah, and shackles Erling Haaland, absolutely. Uh, Sticks a fork in his foot. I I love speaking to him. He started at United in 1989. He's a Wivenshaw lad. Everyone speaks well of him. The Old Trafford pitch has won pitch of the year in four of the last six years because of Tony and his team. And when he speaks, it's all about his team. He hates individual praise and everyone at the club loves him. And when that piece was published, so many people got in touch to say, unsung hero, words to that type, not someone who seeks the limelight at all, completely passionate about uh, the Old Trafford pitch and the 17 other pitches that he has to oversee at Carrington, at Lilton Road, at the Cliff as well. So when I started watching Manchester United, the pitch was terrible. It was awful. It was brown between November and April. You had a massive camber in the middle of it where if you sat or stood low down on one side, you couldn't see below the knees of like Ryan Giggs running along the other side. I'm pleased to say that the United pitch is a trophy winning one. It's about the only trophy Manchester United have won in the last five years. Um, it was just really nice to talk to... Tony, we spend a lot of our time, the three of us, talking to footballers and people, you know, managers. And so to speak to someone like him was, was really interesting. And I've just had a look at the comments from readers. They seem to really enjoy it. Um, one final thing I said was, um, what about your own garden? You know, you spent all this time going on about grass. 
you're passionate about it. What about your own garden? He said, oh, it's synthetic. And it just made me laugh. <laughs> that is brilliant. He has that much grass every day. And even on a Saturday when United aren't playing, he just goes down to literally watch the grass and just to check there's no disease on the pitch. He must get home at night absolutely exhausted and think, nah, there's no way I can be bothered dealing with more it grass. So grass. Have, have a read of it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, talking to Tony. Brilliant. Don't forget, if you want to read that, you can subscribe to The Athletic if you're not already a subscriber for just £1 a month. For the first six months, go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But as I said a moment ago, we'll be back on Sunday after the Manchester derby. Andy, thank you for joining us over in Chicago. Enjoy watching the match with the Chicago Reds. And Laurie, I will see you on Sunday at the Etihad Stadium. We're in for a good one, aren't we? It's the Manchester derby after all. Thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy the match on Sunday and we'll speak to you after it. See you soon. Bye-bye. The Athletic.